Good evening. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We will begin there and then make our way to a few other texts this evening. I have been tasked by the pastors to teach us from the Bible how the church of God ought to be ordered, how the church should operate, how we should live life together in such a way that brings order and promotes unity in the spirit and bond and the bond of peace and that brings glory to God. Some might think that the Bible gives us great liberty to order the church however is prudent, however it might seem wise to us. It gives us general parameters, they might say, but the vast majority is open to human wisdom because the Bible teaches about individual salvation and not about church administration. But as we will see tonight, the Bible does give us clear direction related to how the church is supposed to function. We're given clear directives and clear examples from Scripture of how both the leadership and the laity, the shepherds and the sheep, are to relate to one another. And how God's word is the central tether that keeps all of us from running off the rails. So my plan tonight is simple. To open the Bible and explain what it teaches about the duties and the dangers for shepherds and the duties and dangers for sheep. Duties and dangers for shepherds and those in the congregation. So let's begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those over those in your charge, but being willing examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us more in the image of your Son this very night. That you would use your word to expose remaining sin in us and that you would shave it away from us. You would refine us. That you would mold us. That you would complete us. That you would by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, help us to be like our faithful good shepherd. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Like I said a moment ago, I'll begin with the shepherds of the congregation, the pastors, the elders. And my first point is the duties. What are shepherds to do? What are pastors to do? And I'm assuming tonight that the New Testament terms... For pastor, which is poimen, and the word for elder, presbyteros, and the word for overseer, or bishop, is episkopos. All of these three terms refer to the same office. They're just looking at that office from a different angle. I've preached about that at other times. You can look up that defense on our website. But tonight, my concern is to look more at the function or the manner of a shepherd's role in the life of the congregation. What's he supposed to do? How is he supposed to do it? And what is he not supposed to do? So let's look at what Peter charges to the elders here in Asia Minor. First notice in verse 2, he says, 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The elders are called to shepherd. It's an overarching command that assumes with it many different aspects, but the core of it, the core of a shepherd's ministry, is the word of God, giving the word of God to his congregation. Pastors are called to feed the congregation from the word, just like a real shepherd is called to feed his flock. It doesn't matter how good a shepherd is at protecting if he doesn't feed his flock. It doesn't matter how patient he is with the gentle lambs if he doesn't feed the lambs. It doesn't matter how good he is at cleaning the flocks. It's irrelevant. Uh, it's all irrelevant if he fails to feed the flock. And that's what a pastor does through properly teaching and preaching the word of God. But pastors are not merely teachers. If all the flock needed was a teacher, then we could just pull up sermons of the best preachers around and listen to those together. If all we needed was more head knowledge, then we could just do that. But we need more than that. Pastors need to do more than that. And that's what Peter says next. He says they're supposed to exercise oversight. We could translate that watch over the flock, oversee the flock. Elders are called to be the watchmen, keeping an eye on the flock day and night. That's because sheep are tasty targets, and elders need to be ever vigilant. And those threats can come from different angles. Primarily, we see in the New Testament from false teachers and from wolves. The New Testament makes clear that will arise from the congregation and from without the congregation those that will proclaim a false gospel. They will distort and deny key doctrines taught in the Bible. The apostolic faith will come under attack. And we see that happening even before the close of the New Testament. Paul and John write letters warning for people to watch out and have nothing to do with those who deny who Jesus was and what he has done. Elders have to be on guard against these false teachers. And they must exercise oversight by guarding the purity of the flock. And the purity of its doctrine. But their oversight doesn't stop there. They have to guard against wolves. I spoke a few weeks ago from Acts 20 about how Paul warned that wolves would spring up and they would try and steal away Christ's sheep. They're crafty, they're sneaky, and they will seek to devour some of the sheep. And they will do all this while claiming to be sheep themselves. And the flock must have shepherds that can spot the wolves and scare them off before it's too late. That's one of the jobs of the elders. But how are these elders supposed to have such oversight? What should be the manner in which they engage in this work of pastoring? Peter continues in verse 2. He says that they should do this not under compulsion, but willingly. A shepherd of God's people is not a mercenary. He's not... A hireling. He's not merely contracted to fulfill his employment obligations and that's it. He's not motivated by what the sheep can do for him or what he will receive in return. He's a man called by God himself and set apart for a particular task of leading a congregation. And he's motivated by the grace of God that has stirred in his own heart. He willingly undertakes the often thankless work of shepherding because of God's sovereign call stirring in his heart that moves him with love and compassion for the people of God. He ought to be serving willingly, eagerly, not merely out of a sense of duty or obligation. And notice next, 
Peter says that this elder is not to be motivated by selfish motives. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Peter's not talking about the just compensation for a vocational elder. Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Peter's warning here about men that would be motivated to be an elder over a congregation out of a sense of greed. Some people have a lust for money that drives them into the ministry. Others might not crave money, but they crave power, status, position, authority. They like to be in control. They like to be on top of people. They like to call the shots. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Peter is here condemning. And that's a picture of a shepherd that is diametrically opposed to the example of a shepherd that Jesus was for us. Jesus is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. He washed the feet of his disciples. He took on the form of a servant, the form of a slave. And that kind of posture is the posture that God's elders should take. And it's in this, and it is because of this position that an elder must have this posture. It's because of his position over a congregation that this posture is so necessary. Look what Peter says next. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I'll come back to domineering in a minute, but see that elders are to be examples to the flock. They are out front they are leading, and a significant portion of their leadership is caught, not merely taught. Sheep, just like our children at home, imitate what they see. And if they see elders behaving sinfully or domineering those in their flock, if they're motivated by shameful gain or a lust for power, or if they're exhibiting any other manner of unrighteousness, then the sheep will think that that behavior is appropriate too. Elders have to be like Peter. And like Paul, living lives of integrity and uprightness. They have to be able to say, like Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In the lives of elders, their manner of living is a day-by-day -day commentary and application of what they believe about Scripture. Our lives put meat on the bones of our sermon outlines. And our, our holiness seasons the words that we proclaim from the pulpit. And this is why the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 are so crucial. It's not education, it's not rhetorical flair and ability, it's not winsomeness, it's not good looks that makes a man fit to lead a church. It's the, qualifi the qualifications are almost exclusively related to character. He must be a man above reproach, he must be an example. He must be able to have the sheep follow him and imitate him and those sheep then be on the right path. He must be a godly example for his flock. Finally, Peter says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders must always keep in mind that the chief shepherd will appear. He must be crystal clear about the fact that the authority that he has as an under-shepherd is a derived authority. It's a derivative authority. It's delegated to him. It's delegated from the chief shepherd through the means of God's word and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and it extends no further 
than what is outlined in the word of God. And when the chief shepherd appears, the elder will have to give the flock back to its owner. And he will have to give an account for all of his actions. Hebrews 13 tells us that the elders will have to give an account for how they have shepherded. Elders will have to answer for each sermon, for each correction, for each time they failed to say what they should have said, for each time they failed to lead in the manner that they should have. And this mindset should be ever-present for an elder, motivating him to act in integrity and righteousness each and every day, so that when he stands before the chief shepherd, he can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But we're all aware that pastors don't always act in the way that Peter is prescribing. And we'll move to my second point, which is the dangers for under-shepherds. The dangers for under-shepherds. And to see these dangers, we're just going to look back at the same text in 1 Peter. A first danger is a failure for the shepherd to shepherd the flock that is among him. A shepherd can fail to feed the flock that is among him. He can malnourish his sheep by improperly preaching both the law and the gospel. Or he can even distort the law and the gospel by his tone and ten tenor of his teaching. He can starve them of Jesus by merely preaching about him rather than preaching Christ and him crucified. Or the elder can starve the flock for attention. He can leave the flock to wander on its own, never coming out of his study never spending time with the flock. A shepherd must never starve the sheep of attention because they will seek attention elsewhere. Shepherds must be among the sheep. Indeed, shepherds should smell like their sheep. Elders must be on guard against failing to shepherd the flock that is among them. Second, shepherds can fail to exercise oversight. They can fail to guard against false doctrine or guard against the wolves. Because of fear of man or timidity, shepherds can be tempted to abdicate their responsibility as overseers. They can shy away from having the necessary conversations because of how hard or unpleasant those conversations may be. They can be afraid to rebuke someone in their sin because of who that person might be related to or what influence that person might have. Elders must never let their fear prevent them from doing their job as an overseer. Third, looking at verse 2 again, elders can be tempted to shepherd the flock under compulsion rather than willingly. They can grow hard and bitter towards their flock, and they can begin to go through their motions merely because it's their job rather than a willing act of sacrificial love. When elders go after wayward sheep. Those sheep are not always thankful at first. Those sheep may even bite the shepherd as he's trying to pull that sheep out of the thorny bushes. Elders can get frustrated. They can say, after all I've done for you, you're going to disrespect me in that way. You're going to gossip about me in that way. You're going to ignore me in that way. And that shepherd can be well on his way to serving out of compulsion rather than willingness. Or we might have a different motivation. Peter warns elders against being motivated by shameful gain. Some pastors are fueled by a desire for money, but more often than not, than not pastors can grow accustomed to the 
status of being a pastor. There's a uniquely narcissistic temptation that can grow within a heart of a man that stands before a congregation and claims to have an authoritative message from God himself that everyone in the room needs to hear. He can get used to having this kind of one-way authoritative communication and expect to have that unilateral communication in other areas of life too. The elder can say, you have to listen to me in the assembly. Likewise, you should listen to me in the counseling room. You should listen to me in the hallways. You should listen to me everywhere else. And he can go on a power trip. And that's what the next warning is in verse 3. An elder must not be domineering. He mustn't lord his authority over the sheep. An elder of God does not overpower he does not intimidate. He doesn't bully. He doesn't divide and persecute and attack and provoke the sheep. He doesn't crush and dominate and conquer the sheep. This domination can take several forms. An elder can claim authority where scripture has not given it to him. He does have authority when speaking about idolatry or adultery, or greed, or any other things laid down in Scripture. But he does not have the authority to speak for God where Scripture has not spoken. To pretend to be speaking for God without his express written authority is gross sin. To fill in the blanks that God himself has left empty is to put oneself above the chief shepherd in his wisdom. Additionally, elders must not claim authority by usurping the lordship of God himself. God alone is lord of the conscience. And the elders do not have authority to speak the will of God for someone's life. We cannot tell you who you should marry outside of a believer. We cannot tell you what lawful occupation you should take. We cannot tell you where you should live or how you should school your child or any other issue not expressly commanded in Scripture. We are bounded by the authority given to us in God's Word. And to transgress that is to domineer over the flock. An elder may not proclaim to know God's will for someone's life and thereby domineer over the sheep. A final danger for shepherds is to fail to lead by example. Jesus' harshest words were reserved for the religious leaders that were hypocrites. And I believe that some of his harshest punishments will be reserved for men who preach one way to the congregation but secretly put off all those things for themselves. A man of God is called to be a lowly servant of his congregation. He's called to be marked by humility to remember that all of his dealings will appear before the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd will see through all of his actions straight to his heart. We are all laid bare before the penetrating gaze of God. And therefore we should be quick to repent of our sins and humble in our service before the Lord. Now that we've looked at the dangers and duties for shepherds, let's move on to the duties of the sheep. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 5. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, and then also Hebrews 13 will give us a few aspects of how sheep ought to relate to their shepherds. I'll start with 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. First, notice in verse 12 the imperative from Paul. Respect those who labor among you. Sheep are called to respect their shepherds. Even in this very young congregation in Thessalonica, Paul is exhorting the congregation to have deep respect for its likely inexperienced leadership. And this is really the application of the fifth commandment to congregational life. God's law commands children to honor their father and mother in the Lord, and the principle is the same for every arrangement of authority and submission. Children should respect their parents. Employees should respect their employers. Subordinates should respect their superiors. And congregations <coughs> ought to expect or respect their elders. God has ordained that these men should be in their position at this time in order to keep watch over your souls. And inasmuch as we disrespect these men that are shepherding according to Scripture, we are disrespecting God himself. To dishonor the messenger from God is to dishonor God himself. And to reproach godly leaders is to bring reproach upon God and his holy will. The Hebrews were judged for rebelling against Moses. And likewise, sheep that continually bite back against their leadership will, be, will bear the reproach and judgment of God himself. But it's not only respect that Paul commands. He says in the next verse that the Thessalonians are to esteem their leaders. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul endorses a proper esteem, a proper admiration, a proper respect or valuation, a proper regard for the men that God has called to be shepherds and leaders in the congregation. They've been called by God himself, marked by godly qualifications found in Scripture, and they are supposed to be above reproach and capable in handling the Scriptures. And their lives and their teaching ought to elicit from us all holy admiration. It should be that we can all aspire to imitate the lives of our elders. We should be able to esteem them in such a way as to be able to say, I want to be an encourager like him. I want to be wise like that one. I want to be humble like him. I want to be discerning like him. I want to know the Bible like he does. That's what we're called to do. To hold our pastors high in love. Third, we're called not only to respect and esteem our pastors, but we're called by Scripture to obey and submit to them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13.
Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Scripture tells us that we are called to obey and submit to the elders, which grates against our American sensibilities. But we are called to do it, and it is for our good, and it is for God's glory. Now, don't hear me wrong. This is not unilateral submission and obedience. The elder does not possess inherent authority, like I was saying earlier. His authority is delegated to him. It is a derived authority given to him by another. Thus, inasmuch as the under-shepherd is speaking the words of the chief shepherd, then we're called to obey and submit to the under-shepherd. Inasmuch as the elder is rightly proclaiming to you the word of God, then we ought to hear that elder as speaking the message of God himself, God's very own words to us. Elders do not have the authority to enlarge or distort the message. But if they are accurately proclaiming the Bible's message to you, then you ought to listen to them as messengers from God himself. We do not have the right to ignore the godly messenger just because we don't like him. Or because he doesn't do his job the way that we want him to. Or because he doesn't preach the way we'd like him to preach. Or because he doesn't cater to my preferences. If the elder is faithfully preaching the whole counsel of God's word, then the sheep's job is to hear those words of the elder as coming from God himself. Now before I move from this, there is an implicit in this arrangement an assumption that the sheep will know the Bible. If we're called to obey our elders inasmuch as they are rightly teaching the Bible, then it's up to all of us to know the Bible. To be like the Bereans in Acts that tested everything they were hearing against the word of God itself. And we don't do this with hearts that are distrusting or skeptical of our pastors. We've already covered that we should respect and esteem them highly in love. But we also want to test everything they say against God's word. Which assumes that the sheep have knowledge of the Bible. Congregations don't need to be full of lazy sheep that merely blindly follow whoever is in the pulpit. That is unhealthy and dangerous. That's a recipe for disaster. But congregations should be full of sheep with ears wide open, listening to their elders, and with eyes wide open, reading along in Scripture, ready to test everything that they're hearing against the message of the chief shepherd himself. Now that we've seen three duties of the congregation, to respect their elders, to esteem their elders in love, and to obey and submit to their elders, now let's look at some of the dangers for us sheep. Dangers as it relates to our relationship with the shepherd. And like I did above, I'll use the duties as the structure to frame the dangers. The first danger for the sheep is for us to fail to respect our elders. Because of the sinfulness that lingers in our hearts, we can easily be tempted to disrespect those in authority over us. We can minimize or neglect their teaching. We can refuse to listen to their counsel. We can treat their opinions and wisdom as foolishness and irrelevant. It does not take much for a sheep to disregard the voice of his shepherd. And likewise, it is surprisingly easy for us all to ignore our shepherds. 
How often are we tempted to grumble, perhaps even about the quality of the sermon? It was too long, or it was too short, or he should have said this, or why didn't he say that? Or I wouldn't have done it that way. We can grumble and disrespect our elders. And this can lead to a second danger for us. We can fail to esteem our elders in love. Which means we can treat our pastors as if their job has little value. They're irrelevant. They have no bearing on our lives. We can fail to show them any affection. Fail to acknowledge or appreciate their labors. We can fail to consider the hours that are spent in the prayer closet on behalf of the congregation. Calvin comments about the labors of these elders. He says, their work is the edification of the church and the everlasting salvation of souls. It's the restoration of the world and in point the kingdom of God and Christ. The excellence and dignity of this work is inestimable. Hence, those whom God makes ministers in connection with a task so great ought to be held in equally great esteem. Do you value the work of your shepherds? Do you esteem them? Not merely their work, what they do, but the man of God himself. Do you esteem their office? Do you pray for the man? Pray for the men in the office of pastor. Or do you always speak of them in a critical way? We must be careful that we do not fall into the temptation to esteem lightly the man of God doing the work of God. Finally, a third danger for congregations is failure to obey and submit to the elders. We can be tempted because we have a lack of respect or a lack of esteem or we're frustrated or a whole number of other reasons, we can be tempted to ignore the calls of our shepherd. We can willfully disobey men that are faithfully proclaiming God's word to us. Or we can fail to submit to them in matters that are not law. We can bow up and contradict and fight back with a critical spirit against the work of elders that are trying to work in accordance with God's word and sound reasoning. We can stubbornly demand our way, our preferences, our choices, rather than submitting to the men that the Holy Spirit has set apart for service and leadership in the body. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, the text says. Contrary to what we might believe in any given moment, being a thorn in the pastor's flesh is not a spiritual gift listed in the New Testament. <laughs> and it's not to your advantage, as the verse concludes. They are keeping watch over your souls. Be careful not to fall in the temptation to disrespect or to lightly esteem or to disobey shepherds. Now I want to close tonight with a reminder that none of us can do this in our own strength. Each and every one of us pastors has been no doubt convicted by what the Bible has said concerning our work tonight. And I'm sure that many of you have been pricked by the Holy Spirit by failings of, to be a proper sheep in the congregation. We have all been quick to be critical. We have all failed to honor when we should have honored. We've all failed to respect when we should have respected. 
We've grumbled and complained against each other. We've grumbled and complained against God himself, against our chief shepherd. We are in grateful sheep that bite against the hand that feeds us. But the good news for grumbling sheep like me and like you is that our chief shepherd knows our weaknesses. And he has provided a way for us to be cleansed. The Lord is our great shepherd, and he has sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the perfect sheep in our place. He's the perfect shepherd in our place. He respected perfectly. He esteemed rightly. He submitted and obeyed to all those in authority over him, even when it cost him greatly, eventually to the cost of his very own life. The Bible says... All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, each one of us, to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He submitted to the point of death on the cross so that we might be forgiven for our rebellion. He obeyed all the way to the grave so that we might receive the sentence of life instead of the sentence of death that we had earned. He walked through the final valley of the shadow of death so that we might receive from him the very gift of eternal life. He is our good shepherd, and because of him we can be forgiven of all of our poor shepherding and of all of the times that we have failed to humbly follow and esteem our shepherds. Believe in Jesus and be encouraged that your status as a sheep in the flock of God is not contingent on how good of a sheep you are. And that's encouraging. That's very encouraging. Your status as a sheep in the flock of God is not merited and earned by how good of a sheep you are. But it's based upon the faithfulness of your good shepherd in your place. May it be our burden to pray for one another, sheep and shepherds, to love one another. Because when the sheep and the shepherds are joyfully and lovingly serving one another, the whole body grows together in unity and love. And God is glorified. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we admit that we are sheep that too often go astray. We wander, each one of us, into our own way. We push back against your good hand. Father, help us to see our weaknesses, to see them, to see our sinful actions, to name them, to repent of them, to turn from them, to see our good shepherd who is using his rod and his staff to comfort us. Help us to know this love, to have faith in the Son, to have faith in your Son that was the Lamb slain in our place. Though he was spotless, though he was perfect, he died so that we might have his life. Help us to believe, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close tonight by standing and singing the doxology together. If you would stand and join with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here.
church meeting. I'd like to dismiss our non-members. We're about to have a church members meeting, members only. And our children, 15 and under, can be dismissed out the back door. You're going to go play on the playground for a little bit while we have our church members only meeting. We'll start back in a couple minutes. Thank you.